Well, good morning. Um, as Alicia said, my name is Matt. I'm the camp director up at Covenant Pines, and it is, it's good to be with you. Um, this feels very familiar. Um, this is the first time I've worshipped here, but there are so many of you who serve camp so faithfully, um, who are just, um, I feel like, a part of my extended family. So thank you for inviting me, um, and just join me in prayer as we begin. God, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this community. God, I pray that you would be with each one of us. God, I pray that you would help me to remember the words that you want me to say. God, help me to forget um, what doesn't need to be said and what we don't need to remember. But be with each of us as we encounter you today. In your name we pray. Amen. I love the Old Testament, um, which is why we had a long (laughs) reading. I love the stories that it tells um, because I love hearing about those stories about God's people because I think that sometimes they remind me that these folks in the Bible, who sometimes we put on a pedestal, are really just like you and me. They're not perfect. Um, In fact, they fail quite a bit. They mess up. They forget. Um, But no matter how much they screw up, how much they forget who God is, God doesn't forget them. He always remains faithful. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, I appreciated having the opportunity to worship with many of you up at camp last week. Um, For those of you who weren't there, one of the things that we got to do was to get into small groups and to discuss what it was like to be at an actual biblical event, Um, to be someone who was there, who was interacting, who experienced it firsthand. Um, So I will tell you right off the bat, I'm not going to ask you to get into groups. Um, We're not going to do some sharing, so... Um, You don't need to worry about that. But I do want to ask you to do something, um, and that's to place yourself in in the story. To place yourself in a familiar Bible story um, and to experience it firsthand. We heard um, the story of Joshua read, and I want to back up a little bit. I want to look at the life of Moses. But more specifically, um, the Israelites escaping from Egypt and God's parting of the Red Sea. So like I said, you heard the story of the crossing of the Jordan read earlier, um, and we'll get to that. But I think we need to start with Moses. So imagine yourself an Israelite during the time of Moses. You don't want to be an Egyptian because, spoiler alert, it doesn't end well for them. Um, And you've spent 400 years in captivity. Or, well, you're not that old. So let's start over. But you are you, and you're in this story and your family and your history and your legacy is tied with these people, um, and you've been forced to work against your will. Now, many of you are probably familiar with lots of the story of Moses, um, him being born during this time of Israelite persecution when the Pharaoh was killing um, each of the newborn baby boys. So fearing for Moses' life, his mother put him in a basket and floated him down the Nile River. We remember the story of God's faithfulness to his people because Moses ends up actually getting saved and raised in Pharaoh's household by Pharaoh's own daughter and actually by his mother as well. Um, Pretty cool stuff. So because of this, Moses grew up a member of the Egyptian court, but at the same time, he never forgot his Israel roots. So years later, when God called him to deliver the Israelites from Pharaoh, although he was reticent and afraid, Moses reluctantly answered God's call and said yes to return to Egypt and to go to Pharaoh to remind the Israelites 
or to demand the Israelites' release. And again, if you're familiar with the story, you remember that God used, God has this strange, mysterious way of working. God used a series of ten plagues, blood, frogs, gnats, flies, hail, locusts, all culminating in his decision um, to kill the, fir- the, the firstborn son, which finally convinces Pharaoh to let God's people go. Unfortunately, again, after initially agreeing, Pharaoh changes his mind and told the Israelites' army, or told his army to go after God's people. I think many of us have no problem remembering at least pieces of this story. Um, if you grew up in the church, these are familiar. They're like part of like the Flannel Graph Hall of Fame if you're my age. Or maybe, um, maybe again, if you're my age, I'm 40, turned 40 this year. You remember the DreamWorks movie, The Prince of Egypt? Anybody see that? If you're a generation older, you remember Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments and the scene where he has his arms stretched out, spreading the, spreading the waters of the Red Sea. Or if you have been to camp ever, probably for five minutes, you've sung the song Pharaoh, Pharaoh. And you know this story that I'm talking about. Again, I want you to actually imagine, to picture that you're there. Um, and again, because these stories are so familiar, I want you to picture that you don't know the ending, that you're not sure how it turns out. So there you are, you're standing on the edge of the Red Sea, water in front of you, the Egyptian army racing behind you, you're trapped between an army hunting you down, and this large, impassable body of water. Again, I'm not actually going to call on anybody, but how, how would you be feeling? Frightened? Scared? frozen, maybe making a deal with God that if he gets you out of this, if he gets you out of this situation, you are going to do whatever he asks you. Here's how the Bible describes how the Israelites felt. This is Exodus 14:10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord, saying to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Better to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert? I, I mean, we know the end of the story, but this is, this is a realistic option. Things are not looking good. But again, for those of us who remember the story, we know God comes through. God remained faithful and his promise to Moses and to the Israelites, he parts the water, and there you are, standing on dry ground. Standing on dry ground in the middle of this vast sea, not like muddy ground with a with little bit of water or puddles, but dry ground. So I want to ask you a question, and again, we're not going to share, but God has literally parted these seas to save your family. Do you think this is a day that you would remember? <laughs> it seems like an easy question, right? But I think, I think the deeper question is, would it matter? Or maybe, how long would this memory last? For the Israelites, and if we're willing to be honest with ourselves too, Probably not as long as we would expect. Here's how quickly the Israelites forgot. 
So the Israelites crossed this Red Sea in Exodus 14. And then in Exodus 15, there's this beautiful song that Moses and Miriam sing. And then in chapter 16, the Israelites are already complaining, wishing they were dead because they've got no food. Here's Exodus 16:3. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out of this into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Like I said, at first, it's kind of hard to have sympathy for the Israelites, right? You've had a front row seat to God's deliverance. You've witnessed the miraculous. You literally have been rescued from death's door, but instead of living into God's plan for you, you seem to be suffering from spiritual amnesia, maybe some kind of short-term memory loss. Whatever it is, it's crazy for me to think that they seem to have forgotten so quickly what God has done for them. I mentioned at the beginning that I like the Old Testament because I feel like I can see myself in the stories of God's people. And as much as I'd like to think that if I had witnessed these events, that if I was there, that there's literally no way I would ever doubt God again. Like, that'd be it. I'd be good for the rest of my life. But (laughs) I know that's not true. Because how often have I experienced God, and you as well, only to minimize what he did, to either explain it away, or honestly, forget about it altogether? I want, I want to let myself off the hook. Um, I'll be honest, I have a terrible memory. <laughs> um, we used to joke that my younger sister remembers more of my childhood than I do, and that she passed the baton to my wife um, when we got married. I used, to, um, I used to judge my mother-in-law because she could not keep track of any of, our, any of her grandkids. And when we had our third kid two and a half years ago, that's me. I call our girls by the wrong name as much as the right one. Um, and so to make myself feel better, I just say, well, I've got a really good memory. It's just really short. Um, but, but all kidding aside, I think these short memories, this forgetfulness, um, it's more troubling than it sounds because it leads to, like I said, the spiritual amnesia um, and a lack of appreciation and even reverence for God. Um, ultimately, I think it can even lead this, to this idea of being Christian atheists, which sounds like a, a harsh phrase. Um, I actually heard this phrase a number of years ago from Covenant Pastor Craig Gershell, um, this idea of Christian atheism. Like I said, it sounds like an oxymoron, but it's the idea that we put our faith in God but then we live our lives like everything is up to us. Or you could put it this way, we believe in God, but we live like he doesn't exist. And so like I said, a number of years ago, Grishel wrote this book um, and where each chapter, it's called The Christian Atheist, talks about a belief in God confronting a lifestyle that lives like God doesn't exist. So listen to some of these chapters and you can see if they apply to you. Um, I, know the, I know the ones that convict me. When you believe in God, but don't really know him, when you believe in God, 
but are ashamed of your past? When you believe in God, but aren't sure he loves you? When you believe in God, but not in prayer? When you believe in God, but don't think he's fair? When you believe in God, but won't forgive? When you believe in God, but don't think you can change? You believe in God, but still worry all the time? Believe in God, but pursue happiness at any cost? Believe in God, but trust in money more than anything? Believe in God, but don't share your faith? And then the last one is when you believe in God, but not in, our, in, not in his church. If we're honest with ourselves, I think we can relate to some of these. Um, and I'm not trying to summarize his entire book or discount it, but I think, um, for me, you can summarize all of these. When you believe in God, but forget who God is and forget what God does. Now, this isn't meant to be a guilt trip. Um, in the camp guy, I'm supposed to be fun, right? Um, but just like those Israelites whom God rescued for Egypt, from Egypt, I think our memories are pretty short. Um, I already told you mine is. We've got a tendency to forget. We claim to follow God, which means at some point in our lives, we've surrendered our lives over to him, our whole selves. The problem being, and this, again, myself included, is that we have a tendency to take our life back. We want to do our own thing and forget about God. We've got just enough faith for God to deliver us from Egypt, but not enough to allow him to bring us into the promised land, to live this full and abundant life that he's calling us to. And that's the background for the text that Tom and Sue read. Did you know, and I didn't know this until um, did some reading, but that after crossing the Red Sea, it was an 11-day journey to get to the promised land. 11 days, three days shy of two weeks. Um, This 11-day journey that took God's people 40 years because of their poor memories regarding who God is and what God had done. Because of the Israelites' forgetfulness, an entire generation wandered the wilderness. In fact, their leader Moses wasn't even allowed to enter because of his lack of trust in God. And so eventually... After 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years of wandering around, a new leader replaced Moses, Joshua, the story we, we heard. And he said, in three days, we're going to enter the promised land. And in order to do this, you're going to have to do something you've done before. They're going to pass through this body of water, the Jordan of River, just like they had passed through the Red Sea. And so on the eve of the crossing of the Jordan to enter the promised land, Their new leader, Joshua, told the people to get ready to consecrate themselves because tomorrow the Lord is going to do amazing things among you. Joshua knew the Israelites needed their memory jogged. He also knew they needed something to help them remember God's faithfulness. And so Joshua told the Israelites to choose 12 men, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them that as soon as the priests brought the ark of the Lord into the Jordan River, that its waters would be parted Just like God parted the Red Sea, God was going to part the Jordan River. And here's my favorite part of the story. Joshua told these 12 people to take stones from the river, and after they had crossed, they were told to build a memorial with these stones to remind future generations of what God had done. It was as if God knew they were going to need a reminder. They were going to need some encouragement down the road. 
And the Bible says he did this so that all the people on the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. I think God does this over and over throughout the scriptures. He uses people and he uses places to draw us back to himself. And I'm sure there's more ways, but those are the two things that I kind of want to just focus on um, and that I think are highlighted in those two scriptures that we read, the scripture from Hebrews and the scripture from Joshua. The book of Hebrews describes a cloud of witnesses encouraging us to follow Christ. It says our task is to run the race marked out for us, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to live lives of faith that allow us to trust God. I hope you have these types of people in your life, um, these people who encourage you, these people who won't let you forget the amazing things that God has done for you, people that point you and me to Jesus, people that won't let us forget who God is. And again, um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or to share, but I'm going to pause and ask you to think, who are those people? Do I have those folks in my life, those folks who encourage me, who lift me up? Um, I know for myself, um, there's a group of three guys um, that I've been close to for a number of years, and a couple years ago, we just decided that we needed, we needed to hold each other accountable. Um, we needed to journey together um, intentionally. And so these guys, um, these are my closest friends. These are the people who know me inside and out. They're willing to say hard things. They're willing to say difficult things. They're willing to support me. Um, and honestly, I don't know what I'd do without them. There's people in this congregation um, that do that for each other. There's people in this congregation that honestly do that for me. Um, I, I, I don't have time to go honestly into all the stories. People who have um, literally saved my family from a car accident. I'll tell, I can tell you more about that later. Um, you babysat my kids. I feel like this is just, again, I mentioned this earlier, but it just feels like um, family here. And so I mentioned people. Um, I also think God uses places to call us back to him, to remind us of his faithfulness. And by instructing the Israelites to build this physical memorial, God was giving this place importance. It was going to be a reminder for generations to come of God's faithfulness. It was more than a pile of rocks, but a testament or a testimony of what God has done for his people. In a lot of ways, honestly, I think that's what camp is, which is why I feel um, so privileged to work there and honestly probably why so many of you guys love it. Camp is this physical place and others like it. Um, I think they're like the stones that the Israelites built on the banks of the Jordan River. The trees, the fire pits, the lake, our chapel, both the big one on the point and the one that we hope to build again in the future. They remind us of God. They jog our memory and they point us towards God and they help to tell the story of what God has done. They were created with purpose, with passion, and for a reason. The other day, I was cleaning, off my, cleaning out my office and I actually found 
um, a prayer from the dedication service at Covenant Pines. Um, for those of you who don't know, Covenant Pines was established um, by a group of people back in 1954 and just as a refuge for youth and as a place um, where they could see and come and experience God. And so they bought the property, they started building buildings, and in 1955 they had a dedication service and these words were, these words were read there. These grounds are dedicated for worship in prayer and praise for the ministry of the word of God and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ as the savior from sin, the salvation of souls, and the upholding of the church of Jesus Christ. These grounds are dedicated for the instruction of children and youth in the truths of Christian faith, for the promotion of Christian character, for help in Christian living, for the fostering of good citizenship. We now, the people of the Twin Cities District of Covenant Churches, consecrate ourselves anew to the worship of God in spirit and truth and to the ministry among our youth and dedicate these grounds together with all the buildings and facilities thereon in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Um, I think it's cool. It's cool to have pieces of history like that. Um, and all those words may may sound a little different. It's kind of not how we speak today. Um, I think it still rings true for what we want camp to be. And so my hope is for any of you who come to Covenant Pines that it's a place that reminds you of who God is. It's a place that reminds you of what God has done. It's a sacred place. It's a memory jogger. And it's a reminder of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And if today is the first day that you've ever heard of camp, um, that's okay. <laughs> um, I honestly hope you'll come visit. Come check us out. But more importantly, I hope you've got places, mentioned people, that call you back. Places in your life that call you back to God. Places that help you focus and recenter on what's important, what's life-giving. Places where you can rest, not just detach. Like I said, places where your memory is jogged regarding all that God has done and continues to do. I recently read a friend's post on Facebook that read, I know we know how to detach. I'm not as convinced we know how to rest. Screens are not the same as Sabbath. When I first read that, I was convicted because that's literally what I was doing. I had my phone out, totally detached, scrolling through Facebook. Um, <laughs> and like I said, it was convicting. But let me read it again. I know we know how to detach. I'm not as convinced we know how to rest. Screens are not the same as Sabbath. Like I said, I know my tendency to pull out my phone, to detach, it's rarely helpful um, to make matters worse. Like I said, my memory's short, and so even though I know this, I continue to do it over again. It doesn't satisfy, it doesn't give me rest. As much as there's lots of friends in this room and many people that I know, I don't know where each of you guys are at with your relationship with God, what things trip you up, the particular struggles that you might have, what chapters from that book kind of stick with you. Um, but the one thing I absolutely know about myself is that the times that I struggle, the times I doubt, 
the times I feel alone, it's because I forget to remember. Forget to remember who God is, or I've just isolated myself from those around me. Forget to remember who God is and what he's done. For me, it's also comforting and reassuring that wherever God has me in the moment, he's not done with me. He's not done with you either. There's a short verse in Philippians where, God, where Paul says that the God who began a good work in you is not done, but willing to bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It's good news to know that wherever you are in this relationship, whether you're nine or 90, you feel near or far from God, um, that God's not done. And it doesn't mean that things are easy. Um, again, as we sit together, even as we share a meal um, in a little bit, I know that our lives are hard, but I think the thing that the best recourse that we have is each other. It's these stories, it's the ability to tell them, and it's the ability to point and to remember this is who God is. This is what God does. None of us were there to see God part the Red Sea or the Jordan River. Um, my guess is that none of you were at that dedication service at camp in 1955. Although if you were, I'd love to hear about it. But I think if we take the time to pause and think about the things that God has done for us throughout our lives, like the scripture that was read and the song that we sang, to just still, to just be still and know that God is God, it's humbling. In fact, I think it's incredibly humbling and encouraging and moving to think that this same God who rescued the Israelites, who parted the Red Seas, who parted the Red Sea, parted the Jordan River, this same God who created the universe and gives you and I breath each and every day wants to have a relationship with you and with me. God wants us to remember him and the amazing things he's done. He wants us to seek out people to encourage us in our faith journeys. And like I said, this summer, that's our goal at camp. It's the same goal that we've had for 60 years to help campers take this next step in Christian faith and to just remember who God is. Like I said, from the moment people step on our property, we want them to feel God's presence, to feel at home. You saw our theme was welcome home in the video. And just be welcomed and remembered and loved. And so my prayer for you guys, for the campers, for the staff this summer, for our speakers, the volunteers, this entire congregation is that we would all experience God in new and fresh ways, that we would build up memories of God's faithfulness, and even if we forget some of these experiences, that none of us would ever forget who God is or how much God loves us. So would you pray with me? God, I'm grateful for your stories. I'm grateful for scripture that tells this overarching story of your faithfulness. God, that tells the ways that you have constantly rescued us, restored us. God, I just thank you so much for the ways that you pursue us. I pray for each one of our memories today, God, that they would be long, especially long regarding your faithfulness and your goodness and your love with us. In your name we pray, amen.